Within the first few pages of War and Peace, we get a timeless quote. Can one be calm in times like this if one has any feeling? Is not that sentiment as true today as it was in July of 1805 when the action of the novel picks up? Yet remember, the author was writing about the events of the novel 50 or 60 years after they occurred, around the time of America's Civil War. Tolstoy was looking back at the existential battle of his society. Tolstoy gave these words to the first character he introduced, Anna Pavlovna, who is someone of society and hosting a Midsummer Night's soiree in St. Petersburg, which was named after Peter the Great. He was the Russian ruler from about 1682, when he was quite young, probably about 10 years old, till his death in 1725. Under Peter's rule, Russia was modernized to the extent it was a legitimate European power. Anna is an attendant to the Empress, Alexander's wife, so she's able to get quite the influential crowd to her home. And among the guests, what language do you think they're speaking? Most, picking up the novel today, would induce that they were speaking Russian. However, the language of Russian nobility at the time was French. Such was the influence of that culture. The conversation initially centers on the anti-hero of the novel, Napoleon. Though his presence is generally kept at a distance, his shadow always looms. At the time of his life, and when the book was written, and even today, Napoleon has come to be regarded as one of the great generals in history, along with Alexander the Great, Hannibal, and Julius Caesar. And the guests at the soiree are discussing his recent military actions. And this included taking over a couple areas of northern Italy, including Genoa. Luca was the other one. Anna regarded these areas as now estates of the Bonapartes. Anna is so distraught and filled with patriotism that she says it's for the Emperor of Russia and him alone to stand up to this malevolent force of Europe. Only he can prevent civilization from falling apart. She's expressing that aristocratic society and nobles in general are clearly threatened. The aristocracy's whole way of life that they enjoyed for centuries is under attack. Though Napoleon's invasion of Russia was the beginning of the end of Napoleon's run, the class Tolstoy was from, which was the upper echelon, developed the respect as well as a deep desire to search for the reasons and ways Napoleon changed their world. This included the advancing of ideas to free serfs, educating the public, obtaining a sense of national identity. Society marched on and Tolstoy captured this rich period of change whose effects we all continue to deal with. Fortunately, the action of the book quickly focuses on something much more relatable. Parents complaining of their kids. One of the early guests of that soiree is Count Vasily Kuragin. He's affluent, influential, thinks highly of himself. He's opining how his kids, his three kids, are the bane of his existence and the cross that he has to bear. Vasily has one daughter, Elaine, who is stunningly gorgeous but portrayed as somebody who is quite manipulative. There are so many wonderful characterizations and adjectives about Elaine's beauty, it makes you think that Tolstoy probably named her after Helen of Troy. Then there's Anatole, who's a party type of guy, who's said to cost his father about 40,000 rubles a year for his boorish behavior, which seems like a lot. Count Vasily's eldest son is Hippolyte, 
and is described by his father as something of a quiet fool. He doesn't play a big role in the book. Anna, the hostess, senses an opportunity, and she proposes to Vasily that she be matchmaker for Anatole, as Anatole is a desirable bachelor. Anna believes that the Princess Maria, the beautiful, sad, religious, pious daughter of a crusty old military figure, a general, General Bolkonsky, would be a perfect match. Now, Princess Maria, or Maria, is not beautiful in the traditional sense of outward beauty, but Tolstoy really focuses on her soul and finds a profound inner beauty. She is quite selfless and caring throughout the novel. The old general's full name is Nikolai Belkonsky, and his nickname is the King of Prussia. He's a fictional general from the time Russia won many big important battles in the mid-late 18th century. This is a period there were numerous important victories against the Ottoman Empire. Anna realizes that Belkonsky's daughter-in-law will be at the party later that evening. Count Vasily is attracted by this prospect, as he would love a solid and steady match for his wild son. He thinks someone pious like Maria would be good for his son. But more importantly, she comes from wealth and good stock. That is a nice, easy summary of chapter one. Now here's a little bit of context for the rest of the novel. As I referenced, the guests of the party were speaking French to each other. Now this wasn't a pristine form of French, but it was what was expected at such events. Speaking and writing in French was a sign of culture and Western ideals of the Enlightenment. Adopting the French language was thought to be progress in an area like the Russian Empire. Russia, for example, did not have modern transportation systems such as railroads that the other European nations were developing. And their legal systems, especially their punishments, which still included forms of torture, were especially archaic. They were also some of the last to hold on to the remnants of the feudal system, where there were large estates with serfs tied to the land. Holding on to this serf system for so long was a rejection of the new methods of industry and business which allowed their western neighbors to flourish. But in adopting French, Russia was in a sense trying to join the club, and they made it the official language of important government proceedings. And in addition, French language was spoken in the Russian salons that were modeled on French and European society, where women would play a prominent role in influencing cultural affairs. In today's world, we take English being a common tongue, especially in the business world, for granted. Two centuries ago, French definitely had some of that influence. Some of the prominence in French being introduced and taking such a hold on Russian society was the influence of Peter the Great. Much later, during the years of the French Revolution, because of the long-time affinity between the countries and the French influence, many of the exiles from French nobility fled to Russia. They set up shop there, hoping there would be some type of counterattack or one of the coalitions would win and reimpose traditional nobility. The nobility and aristocracy of France, who wound up in Russia, became very influential there for a period and had an impact on Russian culture that can be seen in their arts, such as dancing, as well as their music, and even various sports the Russians started to pick up, like fencing and gymnastics. Those born in Russia appreciated French culture and associated it with classical chivalry. This relationship drastically changed by reason of the conflicts with Napoleon, which the novel explores. So much of this relationship, or this formerly close relationship between Russia and France, 
especially to American readers, is often forgotten history. As far as the two Italian cities that were briefly introduced, Genoa and Lucca, in 1805 Genoa was officially annexed by the First French Republic, which can also be known as Napoleonic France. Napoleon was granted the title Emperor of France in 1804, May 1804. In the previous decade, there was quite a series of conflicts involving Napoleon and Genoa that led up to this. Napoleon as general had established his own rule or order there since 1797 and later repelled an Austrian invasion. It's a messy history, and that doesn't tell the whole story, but it's a scenario briefly witnessed in the first chapter of War and Peace. Lucca, a part of Tuscany, was also remade as a principality, and Napoleon allowed a beloved sister, Elisa, to rule over it. This reorganization happened in 1805 as well. At that time, this Italian enclave was part of the French Empire. And that will do it for Chapter 1. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll join me for commentaries on future chapters. It's a long book, so I don't know how far I'll get. But if there's any book worth dedicating a lifetime of analysis to, besides the Bible, War and Peace would be it.